Welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life podcast, providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future. Let's get you the answers you need about retirement, investing, asset planning, and the current market. Here's your host, Julian Rubenstein. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I am not your host, Julian Rubenstein. My name is Bruce Corris. I am Julian's publisher. And we like to, every once in a while, flip the microphone around and have the interviewer become the interviewee. And uh, today's a good opportunity for us to talk to Julian a little bit and help you guys get to know him uh, a little bit better. So Julian, welcome to your podcast. Thank you, Bruce. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with a little bit about early life, Julian, what you did uh, before you became a financial advisor. Talk a little bit about your background. So actually my background really started in college. Um, Make a long story short, um, I was awarded the franchise for Syracuse University with the New York Times, which at that time was the 10th largest distribution in the country. The Ivy Leagues, the eight Ivy Leagues and uh, NYU were larger. Uh, Syracuse was run by a businessman. And then they decided that since they're selling the paper at 50% off to the students, they should at least let a student make the money. And I grew that franchise into the largest franchise in the United States. So that really set my career up. So I became, I guess, for lack of a better term, a hot commodity graduating. And I, although I had a lot of offers, I decided to join a small manufacturing concern in Montreal that made laundry sinks and shower stalls, not doors. Long story short, we hit Home Depot just as they started and rode the home, the, what we call the big box wave. And I became the largest manufacturer in the country. I bought the Canadians out. And then I sold the company in 1994 to Masco Corporation, which is more commonly people know it as they own Delta Fawcett, among other brands. And then after that, I did some, I worked for Masco for a couple of years doing some turnarounds, did some private equity work with a company called Sun Capital Partners. And then I decided to launch the firm primarily just to manage my own money because I couldn't find anyone who would manage the money in a conservative manner that I wanted. You know, um, even today, people say, well, you have money, just go into the stock market. And although that is a good investment over the long run, if you're sitting on a bunch of money that you want income from, it's a little unnerving to have your money going up and down 20% up, 20% down. A case in point last year, uh, people were very nervous, right, after what was going on. In fact, I got many calls last year where people said, this is different than any other time before. This is the worst bear market we've ever had. And I just chuckled because I said, well, I kind of think 08 was a little bit worse. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I tell people, if we can survive 08 and shutting down the world's economy for 30 to 45 days, I think we're going to be just fine. Um, So that's my background. And that's how I got into uh, financial investing and managing money. And what I do differently, although I'm probably answering some of your questions all in one, (laughs) is I try to create portfolios that have the lowest volatility possible. The thing that makes people panic is volatility. Because uh, we all know markets go up, markets come go down, but they generally always come back. So if you can limit the volatility, people don't panic and they don't sell. You've used a couple of words there I want to follow up on. You just use volatility. You talked earlier, you 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 used the word conservative. So you're you're not one of those, you know, hey, let's move your money around because I can get you you know, go from 5% to 6%, but there's a big risk involved. You're, you take a different path with your clients. 
Well, I think what you're talking about is not five or six percent. It's people that want to chase Tesla or Nvidia, right? Because they want to make fifty or sixty percent, not five or six. Um, I don't do that because let's face it, stock picking is legalized gambling. There is no formula to, to do it right. In fact, as great as Warren Buffett is, and he is phenomenal, he had decades where he did nothing, where he actually didn't make any money. Uh, no one has the formula. So again, it, when I tell everyone, everything that the world knows about a stock, everybody already knows. So the only way you're going to do better is if you know something that the rest of the world doesn't know. And that's, again, it's legalized gambling. Um, I follow a, an investment philosophy that was designed by a gentleman by the name of Harry Brown. And Harry was famous for saying that 99% of all predictions are, well, are wrong. The only prediction that's right is that 99.9% of all predictions will be wrong. Hmm. And it's funny, if you, if you watch CNBC and write down what they say and go back six days later, it's all wrong. Got it. So talk to me now about the people you work with. Who is your typical client? And more important, who are the people that you would not want to work with? Um, look, my typical client is someone... There's two clients, right? We have those that are saving for retirement and those that are already retired. Those saving for retirement need growth because they want to build up enough equity to retire. And those that are retired, they want income, right? They don't need growth. They just need income to live on. And most people don't want to go into their principal. So those are the clients that I serve. Uh, the only client I don't want is someone who wants to chase the stock market, who just wants to be a stock jockey and is going to call me every day. What about Oracle or what about Tesla? It's not that I think they're wrong. I just it's not what I do. And I, I just again, I said it earlier, it's legalized gambling. It's not something that I think is a, a smart thing to do. Now, it's if you want to take a portion of your money and have a good time, that's great. But you don't need my help because I don't know anything more about a stock than the next guy. You know, I try to explain to people. And I'll give you a simple example. There are companies that fly drones over every Home Depot in the country, and they figure out how many people are in the parking lot, how many trucks are in the parking lot. So they try to dissect the sales for that day for Home Depot. Well, the average investor is not doing that. And I'm just scratching the surface of what the hedge funds and mutual funds are doing. I remember being in Vegas, and there was a uh, junk bond fund called Northeast Investors, and they were standing at the table with a pen and paper, literally counting what people were gambling to try to figure out if the casino was making or losing money that day. I mean, think about what these people, the information they have relative to the average investor. Once heard someone say, picking individual stocks is like going to play football on Sunday in the NFL without shoulder pads and a helmet. Got it. Now, now there's the risk. <laughs> now now we're talking, talking about a risk. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people make as, the, as they plan for retirement? A big one, of course, is just not planning. We know that there, the statistics are scary with all the people that just don't have, that are not ready for their retirement. Well, remember, people don't plan because they don't like the answer. They're afraid of what they're going to hear. So they just put it off and off and off till it's almost too late, right? Because if, let's face it, if you sit down at 40 and try to figure out how much money you're going to need when you retire, it's scary. So that's why people put it off. Um, in my business, I don't really meet people that haven't planned, right? Because then they wouldn't be coming to me that they have no money. So I can't tell you, you know, what those people are making, you know, why they're not planning. And I think the biggest mistake people make, though, that are, you know, watching retirement is they don't realize that their IRA is fully taxable. And it's a shame. And it's not their fault. But if you take a million dollar IRA, most likely you're only going to get 750 out of it because you're going to pay 25% in tax minimum. So I think that, unfortunately, they, they think they have more money than they do, which is a problem. 
And it's not their fault. It's, it's you know, the government created a product that really ends up hurting people later on. Got it. And that is the biggest mistake. What are some of the common, you talked about people that once when they're in retirement, they want income. We know that. So other than the the wanting to get the most out of out of what they have and having the income to live the lifestyle that they want to live, what are some of the other um, common challenges that you see people have when it comes to retirement? And what are some of the unique ones that that uh, or unforeseen ones that people don't necessarily think about? You talked about not not knowing that their IRA is not going to be what it what they think it is. What are some of the other things they just don't know? Well, I'm kind of answering the first question, the last question again. A big mistake people make is they get trapped into these annuities that are sold and they're misleading, right? They tell you that you're going to have income for life, and that sounds great. And people say, oh, wow, that's perfect for me. I can never run out of income. The first thing they don't realize is annuities don't pay income. They give you a guarantee withdrawal. So you're just basically taking your own money back. Um, and it's a shame. They get sold on this guarantee. They hear that word and they think that that's what they want, not realizing you're getting exactly what the 30 year treasury is paying. So for the last 10 years, people were literally getting two or three percent on their money, less fees, basically not making anything, just taking their own money back. And that's a shame. And then there's nothing left for their heirs for no reason. So that's a, a huge mistake. And in Florida, it's a shame. These They have all these seminars. And I mean, when someone's buying you a free dinner to sell you a product, you know he's not helping you invest your money. He's selling you a product to make a very large commission. So that's that's the single biggest mistake people make is that. And then after that, I mean, I you know, people, I find most people do tend to live within their means. So long as you sit down with them and show them how much money they have, what they can reasonably expect to earn each year. And you're not going to earn the same every year, but on an average basis, this is how much you can expect. And I think most people do a good job, at least my clients do, of living within their means and enjoying their life. Got it. And that's a big thing. You know, people don't go into retirement saying, hey, I need to cut way back and you know, I, I can't I can't travel to see the grandkids and I can't do this and all of that. They go into they go into retirement saying, I want to live the life that I was planning to live. A hundred percent. In fact, I think most people when they retire are don't realize they will probably spend more than they did prior to retirement. Because let's face it, you don't retire the minute your kids leave. So your kids are already out of the house. You're not supporting them. Um, and as you just pointed out, you want to travel, you want to see places, you want to buy things. It's, it's definitely your expenses don't go down for sure. And that's why I tell everyone, especially people are living so much longer, retirement is not what people think. You don't want to retire too early because you will run out of money. Retiring at 65 today is like retiring at 45 or 50 20 years ago, right? I mean, people are living 85, 90 regularly right now. Not, I think when Social Security was designed, what, you got it at 65, you you, were, you passed away at 70? You know, seriously, a five-year life. Now you retire at 65, your money's got to last 20 years. So people have to really think long and hard before they retire. And also, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. You get bored. I mean, what you know, people don't realize if you have your health and you're in great shape, you know, it's, it's a lot of time not to, not to be doing anything. Yep. What do you know now that you wish you had known when you started out doing this? Oh, that's easy. That uh, stock markets may temporarily go down, but they never stay down. Now, individual stocks may go down and never come back. But the market itself, I mean, if I knew then what I knew now, sure. If you have a long enough time horizon, putting all your money in the stock market is not a silly thing. If you have a long enough time horizon, you don't have to overthink it. I and mean, that's one thing Warren Buffett has always said. 
you buy the S&P 500 at a young age, it's going to be a lot higher as you get older, for sure. You just got to live with big drawdowns. You know, we've had drawdowns at 50%. And losing half your money is very difficult to watch, even though you might intellectually believe it's going to end. At the moment in time, it seems like it never will. Without naming any names, obviously, talk to me about a client or two that, that you worked with that you've worked with that came to you with a, whether it was a, a unique challenge or whatever, and you came up with a solution for them. And, you know, I call them your success stories, people that, that maybe had certain expectations and now they have much higher, uh, they've exceeded their, their life has exceeded their expectations, stuff like that. I kind of think about that. You know, when people ask me, what, like, what are some unique relationships I had? I do remember one, a gentleman came to see me in June and said, um, I've been listening to your radio show for years. I have no need for your services. I manage my own money. I'm great at it. I'm only here because in case something happens to me, I need someone to take care of my wife. And would you believe he passed away three weeks later? Like totally out of the blue. It wasn't that he was sick or anything. Um, So that was incredible. And um, then that same client, he had bought a penny stock. And it went public, and the family made tens of millions of dollars <laughs> from that trade. So that, that's my most interesting story I can give you. Got it. Um, talk to me about trends right now. We've seen, you know, obviously interest rates have gone have gone up. Uh, taxes, obviously, we, we look at what's going on in Washington, and we know that, that we have a presidential election coming up in 2024 and the House and the Senate and all of that. But talk to me about the trends that you've seen, let's say, in the last five years and put your crystal ball out here and say, yeah, that's where I think we're going in the next five years. Well, look, it's impossible for me to tell you where we're going because I'd be guessing, right? Seriously, nobody knows where we're going. The Federal Reserve doesn't know where we're going. I can just tell you from what I see, we have higher interest rates that I do think will be here for a while. You know, it's, it's interesting. You and I grew up an eight or nine percent mortgage was normal. It wasn't out of out of sight. Uh, today, they're six and seven, and people are having a meltdown. Um, I can't tell you where where that's going to end up, but I the thing that concerns me the most is the extreme um, bubble in housing, right? To see houses not double but triple, and in some cases quadruple, I, I just don't know how that's sustainable, and I don't know where that will play out. I mean, you have people that bought homes with three percent mortgages. How can they ever move? Um, and that, and again, I'm just guessing, but if they're, if they can't move, that continues to put pressure on supply, a lack of supply because they, they can't move. So I, I just, I just, I'm not sure how this housing thing is going to shake out. The Fed made a huge mistake in 2021 in March. The whole world knew real estate was on fire. I mean, you turn on CNBC every single day. They tell you housing is up 5%, 7%, 10%. I mean, does he not watch television? I, <laughs> I just don't understand. And, you know, seriously, if he had raised rates back then, we would have a much better economy today. Um, when you couple that the, the low rates for so long, along with supply chain and everything else that happened from COVID, um, it, you know, I, I think that structurally it, it is a very difficult environment to invest in right now. Right. I mean, if you think about it, you have this whole work from home issue. So now what's going on with commercial real estate that that really hasn't even started to hit us when a lot of these mortgages come due and rates are double what they were. So I, I think it's a it's a I'm not saying it's a horrible time. I'm not saying it's always when you're in the moment, investing always looks difficult. I just think that this particular environment, it's very hard to see how they're going to work out all the excesses that are in the system other than just time. And of course, you're in Florida. And um, a thousand people a day are moving to Florida. 
And many of them, it's not just the retirees anymore. It's, you know, people moving there because, A, they, they can work at home now. So why not? I'd rather work in Boca in February than Boise, Idaho. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're doing that or they're selling a business and moving to Florida. Um, and of course, you still have the people that are, that are either retirees or are five to 10 years away from retiring and moving there. And there's a lot of, of, you know, certainly sticker shock in Florida. Uh, you know, people that sold the big four bedroom house up north and say, I'm going to I'm going to buy a condo on the beach and have hundreds of thousands of dollars left over. I'll pay cash for it. And then they see that the condo on the beach is more than the, what they sold their four bedroom house for. You're one of the few people in the world who's caught that. You're, absolutely. And I don't mean to repeat what you're saying, but yes, I remember people would sell, had no money. You sell your home on Long Island. You move to Century Village. You put a half a million dollars in the bank and you live off the half a million and life is perfect. Those days are over temporarily. And I just pick on Century Village because that's always been our least expensive housing. I remember back in the, I guess the eighties, you could, they were buying and selling for 28,000. Mm-hmm. Then prior to the, when we had the real estate bubble, it went into the hundreds. Prior to the pandemic, they were back at 28, and now they're back in the hundreds. So it is cyclical in Florida. I would think that I, – I, I do think everything is cyclical. So I think housing will eventually come down so the migration for the retirees can continue. I wasn't sure. Is it, are we still getting 1,000 people a day? Is that still the headline? That's Every time I look up the number, that seems to be it still. So um, it's, I think it's, tri- it's slowing. It's not certainly not slowing to a trickle, but it, it may not be that every day now, but it's still well up there. You know, look, obviously, when I moved here from the Northeast 30 years ago, so I like it. And clearly, you know, no state income tax is a big plus, especially in some of these high tax states. But I think you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of people move because of working remote. And I think companies are really kicking back on that hard right now. So I think that because if you think about it, if you could live anywhere in the world, you know, why would you want to live in the cold weather in a high tax state? Just doesn't make any sense. If you want, you want cold weather, you want to ski, go to Colorado. And I think people were living where they did aid for their families because they have roots, but also they had a job. And if you could work anywhere, that changes. So I'm just going to make the assumption that, that this remote work is going to slow down, which will slow down the migration out of all these other cities. Got it. Talk a little bit. So let's talk about the podcast. You've been doing it for a while now. You've interviewed a bunch of interesting people. Talk to me about what this has been like for you, what you've gotten out of doing this podcast? You know, I've got to meet a lot of interesting people and you get to see, you know, I mean, I, you know, I have my own world. I know people I know and the jobs they have, but, you know, meeting with a lot of these other professionals, whether they're attorneys, accountants, and just seeing how they built their business and who their clientele is. And, you know, it, it's just interesting. Been very, And I've met some really nice people. What's next for you personally and professionally? Where do you see yourself a year from now, five years from now? Uh, look, professionally, I would like to continue to grow my business. Um, I love what I do. I, you know, when I was in the manufacturing business, I didn't really help anybody. I used to tell this to my kids all the time. So I made shower stalls, big deal. So I never forget, my daughter was in carpool, and one of the kids in the car turned to her and said, you know, my daddy's a doctor. He saves lives. <laughs> so my daughter turns and goes, so what? My dad keeps people clean. <laughs> But I really didn't add any value to society. Um, helping people manage their money, you, d- you do add value, right? You make sure that you try and make sure they don't make mistakes, that they can live a comfortable life. So I love what I do. So I'd like to continue to grow the firm. And one, one big project that I have been working on for quite some time is I'm attempting to launch the first mutual fund in the country that will invest 100% in structured notes. Uh, the reason is structured notes have 
anywhere between a $250,000 to $500,000 minimum. So it puts it out of reach for most people. There are ways advisors like myself can buy them and then spread them out over multiple clients, but it's a tremendous amount of work and it's, it's really a very difficult thing to do. So there's a need for this fund. So I'm really working hard to you know, get this fund launched because I think that it'll be something the market really needs, some, some, a way to buy notes without having to spend two hundred fifty dollars or $500,000. So, so that's, that's, my, a, that's an opportunity for you to help a, a, new, a whole new breed of people. Yes, yep, uh, definitely. Again, we're not trying to teach people that they want to buy structured notes. We want to go to the investors that want them but can't buy them. We just want to make it easier to buy that individual security. Is there a question I did not ask you during our conversation today that you were planning to talk about, or is there something you want to expand on from earlier? No, I think you pretty much covered it. The only thing I would add is when it comes to my investment style is one thing that I do think separates me from other investment advisors is that I manage my own money exactly like my clients. So if you look at my portfolio and you look at my clients that are retired, it's exactly the same. If you look at my younger clients that are saving for retirement and you look at my kids' accounts, it's exactly the same. So that has two benefits. One, I eat my own cooking, so <laughs> I mean it my clients. Um, but more importantly, I can manage every client's account every day. If you have you know, 50 different portfolios, let's be honest, how often are you looking at them? So what, are you going to go through your clients from A to Z and, and get to them, I don't know, once a week or once a month? By me, every day I wake up, I see what the markets are doing, I know exactly how my portfolios are performing, and I can stay on top of them much easier. And I think that's really what's made me successful at what I do. Great. Well, thank you. Um, and thank you for taking the time to do this and sit in a different chair on your own podcast. So our guest today has been <laughs> Julian Rubenstein, who on our next episode, on the next episode, will return to the role of host of his podcast and continue to uh, share insights and information uh, for people as they think about retirement and move forward into this next phase of their life. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. For more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.